What is up, everybody? Back again, another episode of the Fan Section Podcast. We are coming to you live from my amazing little studio in my house. Um, first off, just want to say Tyson is out for the week, so it's just going to be me doing the recaps. Um, it was a crazy week, uh, insane. There was a lot of things that went down, a lot of things that um, I definitely want to dive into. Um, before I dive into all that, though, real quick, <clears throat> just want to say this is the Fan Section episode brought to you by fans, for fans across the college landscape. From section 100 to section 300, bleachers all the way down to the suites. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I said I'm your host, Alan. It's just two dudes talking college, dropping knowledge. Uh, before we start, I want to like, take the time to ask you to like, subscribe, leave us a five-star review, promise to read it on air. Also, to go over our Twitter handle, the fan section. If you want to get the mailbag, send us those questions at thefansection1 at gmail.com. Like I said, huge, crazy week, right? Like a lot of things did happen. Um, the rankings got mixed up, as I'm sure you guys probably all know, um, that the one through four is totally insane. Georgia's the top. Bama fell down to five uh, based on the last ranking, which is the, the podcast shorts you guys listen to. Tyson had them um, kind of right where they are. Uh, I had them actually at four. So I think that Bama being where they're at um, – Sets them up pretty solid. They can still actually win out. Um, but real quick, what I want to talk about today is <clears throat> obviously I'm going to break down the Bama A&M game because that game was huge and had big playoff implications set up the one through four. I want to talk about the Iowa-Penn State game. Um, Penn State losing their quarterback. Penn State was in control of that game the entire time. Iowa didn't – I'm not going to say got lucky because I don't think a team – I mean, unless it's obvious, ever really gets lucky, um, but just injuries. Also, real quick, want to highlight UMass beating UConn. That was nuts. So basically two bottom-of-the-barrel teams uh, went at it. UConn honestly shouldn't be playing football this year, but they are. Kudos to them. Uh, UMass was able to bring it to them. Another big key that I want to talk about, just information that dropped down today actually, was Spencer Rattler got replaced. We all knew if we watched the Oklahoma game, what was coming, right? I mean, obviously, Spencer Rattler comes in, struggles against Texas. Texas jumps on him early. Caleb Williams comes in and dominates. Doesn't look like a freshman, has poise. You can just see a bigger arm. You can see the ability for him to make plays outside the pocket and be ready to make those plays outside of the pocket. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, uh, Caleb Williams is for real. Spencer Rattler is now, rumor is, is he about to transfer? He unenrolled from Oklahoma, uh, based on all the Twitters that I've been able to, I've been watching and following most of the day. That is nuts, and we're gonna wrap up the show with the midseason All-American team that dropped. See if I have any agreements or disagreements with that that ESPN put out. Um, yeah, without further ado, let's jump into the first section of this podcast, which is covering the Bama A&M game. All right, so the Bama A&M game was nuts, insane, back and forth. Um, I still can't believe someone – it's unfortunate a game like that someone has to lose, which kind of sucks. And I know that, like, before I before I you know start covering these teams, I just want to say that I'm only covering – really, I'm going to dive into depth on these two games because the implications that they had for the rest of the season sets everything potentially up. Cincinnati benefits, Iowa benefits – um, you know, anybody, Michigan, Michigan state can benefit. Uh, you still have, uh, you know, big 10 is still kind of on top. And as far as the ranking goes, if Georgia doesn't get upset this weekend, 
uh, by Kentucky, Georgia benefits. So there's a lot of things that, and like I said, the last podcast, the margin of error with a loss, your season's not necessarily over unless you're like a Notre Dame or if Oklahoma takes a loss, then their, their season's pretty much over. They can just play. I mean, Notre Dame can't play for anything because they're not in a conference. Hint, hint, join a fucking conference. Maybe you can actually play for something. Um, but basically like Alabama season isn't over because they're still ranked fifth, but my my point is, and I have them at fourth, the committee, and I've said this before, wants the four best teams. There's no way in hell that you're going to leave. If Alabama wins out, you're going to leave Alabama off of that. Even with, I'm not going to say, with two losses, they're done. So they obviously have to win the SEC, and more than likely they're going to play Georgia. But um, say something like, say Georgia stumbles along the way, and they play like a Kentucky, or they play a Tennessee who's kind of looking stronger. I'm not going to put the, I'm not going to say those two teams are better than Georgia, obviously. Because they haven't really played anybody, um, but Alabama would easily beat. I would I would bet Alabama on that. You know what I mean. So Alabama can still they still have a, a way into the playoff. And next on the previews, what I really want to do is I want to talk about. I hinted at the rankings, uh, the kind of the end of that fan section short last episode, the golden ticket to get into the playoffs. That's going to be a segment next episode. Uh, when I cover the previews, because I want to talk about those one through really one through six teams, and I might go as far as one through eight, what your ticket into the playoff would be. But real quick, back to the AM and Bama game, it was back and forth. AM got out to a 17 7 lead in the first quarter. Um, you're like, whoa, okay, so b- did Bama not come to play? Were they sleeping? I think they just got punched in the mouth. And honestly, like adversity, that's where you find out. What's your team is really made of, you know what I mean? In the college football setting, at least, um, you're going to have adversity, um, and they were able to kind of they were able to kind of limit the damage in the second quarter. AM scored again, but then at halftime, Nick Saban and I've said this before is the king at college just adjustments in general. He came out 14-7. Okay, the fourth quarter, that's where everything <laughs> kind of and AM did everything they could to lose that game. Like after Bama scored. Um, there was a play where they did a – or right before right before they they scored, obviously. Bama comes – they're just rolling. It was like an 80-yard drive. They get to the – I think it was like their own eight. And they did a no huddle the play before. So the play of that they scored the touchdown, nobody was out covering the receiver. Like AM was just so confused. They didn't even account for him. People were calling for a penalty. I didn't see a penalty at all because – they didn't sub. AM, you're not allowed to sub. That's not a penalty. If you sub, it's a penalty, but you were just so in shambles. And like I said, you at that point, you're like, all right, Alabama's up. This game's pretty much over. Instead, Calzada comes back, like roaring back, like with he, – he played with his head, as Tyson said, on fire. Yeah, the kid was standing on his head like the entire game. And I, I want to say something real quick about Cal, about Cal. I think that this offense, and based on like you know what I've seen, read about it, it's very complex. It's a pro-style offense, so there's a lot of things that Cal is actually asked to do with the line of scrimmage, and you can see that when he's when he's motioning guys, he's trying to look for if if the linebacker's following him, he's keeping an eye on the safety. Is a single high? Is it not? There's all these things processing in his head right now, and the kid can actually play. Like. I've never thought that he couldn't play. He's got a pretty big arm. I like his ability to actually make some really good throws in some tight windows. He was making throws in NFL-level like windows on Saturday. And 
that's that's really exciting, especially for me because I love watching quarterbacks that are good play. Um, so yeah, you know that's my little like compliment to you, kid. Well done, keep going. Um, but back to what I was saying about the offense. Each week he's looked more comfortable in the offense, meaning he's able to pick up the reads a little bit more. He's and he's he, this is his first year starting. He's only played in six games. Like you kind of got to give him a little break in the sense of yeah, okay, he came in against Colorado. And as a backup, yeah, you're one play away, but mentally there's just a different way you prepare for the game. You know what I mean? Like Haynes King was the guy going into that. And honestly, if Haynes King was the quarterback, I don't think Anna beats it. I don't think they come close to beating Bama. Um, but that's a topic for another, you know, another debate. The point is that Cal made the throws he had to make when he had to make them. And it's one of those things where you're very excited to see. I mean, this stat line is solid. 21 of 31, 285 with three TDs. Isaiah Spiller didn't have a bad day either. I mean, he his average is a little low, but as far as like being able to pop off the you know the crucial runs and the and the you know what I mean like kind of sealing the game. Um, he, he I think he ended up with 17 carries for 46 or 48 yards or something like that. Um, he did have a TD though, and that was crucial. But Cal was able to to rally the troops. Everybody believes in him, and like I said, each week I'm really curious to see next week how they do because if Cal's that obviously you're very confident when you beat Bama, right? Anybody in the world is going to be super confident when you beat Bama. But I want to see, was is Cal able to stay poised? Is he able to handle all those emotions of being the quarterback that, well, I mean, the last A&M quarterback to beat Bama, I think, was Manziel. So, like, those are, I mean, Manziel, was, say what you want, was a pretty solid you know college quarterback. In the NFL, yeah, he had his problems. But he's got that mantle now that he kind of has to live up to. And, each week, it's only going to get more and more pressure for him, and I just want to see how he handles that. So, yeah, 41-38 was the final score of AM versus Bama. Um, it was it was one of the best games I think I've seen in a very long time college-wise. Like, I'm used to watching my dogs, um, and they've just been rolling everybody. So, like, these close back – and I don't want tr- – trust me, let me let me reiterate. I don't want Georgia to play a close game like this ever this season um, because they also I think they won't because their defense is too good. But – Games like this, when they're not your team and you're kind of rooting for the for Bama to lose like most of the people in the world are, games like this are very exciting. Even if Bama would have pulled it out, you're like, that was still a great game. Hats off to both teams coming ready. To, I mean, Bama was flat, like I said, the first quarter. But the adjustments, and, and this is why, another real quick tidbit that I've noticed about Saban, he does not play road games. Like, I don't know if you guys have noticed, every time, like, the first, first two – for one or like the first or second game Bama plays, it's always at an if unless it's at home, it's always at a neutral site. Like, and I think he obviously he does that on purpose because Alabama is not they're just really not very good on the road. All his losses have come on the road. They've never been beaten at home, which is crazy. Uh, but all the big losses that you see um, have all come on the road. So obviously Saban, you know, is able to kind of kind of tilt the the little you know, the little oil thing in his favor a little bit, but in the sense of this game, man, I mean, you just had from the, from the first snap, you felt, okay, A&M came ready to play Bama. Do they have a defense good enough to stop A&M? That's the question. Cause Cal looks, you know, pretty solid. Um, but yeah, real quick, that was the, that was just the A&M, you know, Bama game. I want to move on here to the Penn state, Iowa game. So the Penn State-Iowa game, 
was nuts in the sense of people were afterwards you heard from a lot of the a lot of the media at the time and I think it was the Iowa media saying your players were pretending to be hurt uh, no because they were Penn State was in control of the game the entire time had their quarterback Sean Clifford or uh, yeah had Clifford not gone out it, I mean yes he threw two picks okay but you can't tell me that Clifford comes in and just like he's he's that He's that much better than Robertson. Robertson came in with seven for twenty-one with thirty-four yards and two picks. That was the deal. That was the game right there. I mean, yeah, it's it's unfortunate for Penn State. They were really, really were rolling. Um, but the run game, it was one of those things where you kind of wanted to see, you know, Lee just he never got the chance to break that big run, right? I mean, obviously Penn State, you picture control the clock, run the ball throw when you need to on, you know, manage manageable third and, you know, third and shorts, third downs, even second and shorts. We maybe we'll throw the ball play action here and there, but you know, Penn state jumped out to a 14, three lead in the first quarter. Then Iowa, I mean, and then it was just field goals. You, you, you have to score, especially in the fourth quarter. And I get it. Your starting quarterback went out. You were able to get a you know, two field goals, but the offense, you know, you're scoring 20 points against Iowa, and they Iowa's a team that gets better as the game goes on, I've noticed. And if you're like, okay, if you're an Iowa fan, all right, guys, just keep it close in the first half because the third and fourth quarter, we, we own. You know what I mean? Like, we're really good. At, we're a second-half team, and we're going to come out and we're going to prove it. So I think that Iowa, in the sense, I'm not going to say they got lucky because it was a very, very close game, um, and I, I really enjoyed it. I, I think that... Penn State obviously taking the loss drops them down to seven. Is their season over? No, because Iowa could take a loss here and you know moving in. Or but you're you you're not gonna have a non-Big Ten championship team in the playoff. So unless unless Cincinnati takes a loss or they believe that Cincinnati isn't in because Bama is obviously likely gonna get in if they win out. But they, if they take the loss to Georgia, they won't get in. But if Georgia stumbles, Iowa's now number one. Do you move Penn State up? Because if Penn State wins out and their only loss is Iowa, it looks pretty good. You know what I mean? It's not a bad loss. Um, and the committee takes all that stuff into consideration. But, yeah, so 23-20 was the final score. Iowa was able to come out on top. Um, like I said, the speculation of their players pretending to be hurt. Um, and, you know, Franklin answered that uh, in – classic Franklin style. I mean, he was, he was kind of, he's kind of, I watched it on, on Twitter today, the, like the actual little like response. And he like, he's just, let's just put it, he's Franklin. You know what I mean? Like don't ask stupid questions and not expect to get a stupid response. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty classic. I really did enjoy the game. Sets up a ton of different scenarios for the playoff. It just sucks. This game, just like the Bam and Adam game, sucks. Somebody had to lose. Um, but that's what, that's why you play the game. You know what I mean? You learn more from a loss than you do from a win and, and hopefully Penn state is able to rebound, but moving on, I want to talk real quick, just about the UConn and UMass game. So the UConn UMass game, man, oh man, two toilet, you know, basically toilet bowl teams. UMass is able to get their first win of the season. UConn goes to 0 and 7. UConn did get out on top, though. Like, they scored in the first quarter. It was 10-7, and you're thinking, all right, UConn might get their first win. And then they, neither team scores in the second quarter. UMass is able to drive down the field and get a field goal because UConn just – I think the, just the depth was tested at that point. Like, 
there's not enough. This team is obviously a year away. They're still, they're kind of, I feel like they're going to the dorms and be like, hey man, you want to play football? Hey man, you want to play football? (laughs) Like, because some of the guys, you just, you just don't know who they are. Like, in the sense of, I mean, it's no offense to UConn, but they can't obviously get recruits in because they took a year off. They, they didn't recruit and they got punished by getting their, getting kicked out of their conference. So in the third quarter, UMass was able to score that field goal, and then they just blew up in the set in the in the fourth quarter. And I also like goes back to the depth. Like UConn at that point was just they were just out of shape. They couldn't handle it. Twenty-seven thirteen was the final score. Um, yeah, I mean Krajewski was thirteen to twenty-four for one hundred twenty-eight yards. I did throw two picks, but he also threw a TD. But Nathan Carter, I want to give a shout out to him. He was able to have you know a really good day on the ground. Twenty carries for one hundred thirty-six yards with six point eight average. No TDs though. Um, you can't not score in the honestly before half or right after half, even a field goal. You can't not do that and expect to beat teams. That's just not how it's going to work. Um, moving on, the honestly the topic of today that I was seeing all over Twitter was nuts. It was the fact that um, this could potentially happen is also nuts because Spencer Rattler was the nation's number one quarterback when he committed to Oklahoma and the fact that he came out and got replaced. All right. That's too bad. You know what I mean? But now there's rumor that he's unenrolled at Oklahoma. And if you're an Oklahoma fan, you're like, all right, because you have a really good class coming in. Like you have Gavin Sawchuk, really Brown. So your backfield and your skill positions are taken care of. Um, you're going to lose Hazelwood likely to the draft, but that's okay. Cause you have a really good receiver in 2023 coming in. Um, and you also have Caleb Williams, who makes players look better. Like when he's and this is a freshman. And I I want people to understand freshmen don't usually do this. Like, that's an anomaly. Usually, freshmen like what Bryce Young is doing, and what I mean, you could say he's he's a red shirt, but what KJ Jefferson, those guys are young. And what they're doing is kind of unprecedented. Like I mean, the only example I have for my dogs is Jake Fromm when he came in his freshman year. But everybody knew Jake Fromm had a weak arm. He could throw the 20-yard out really good because he was really good at timing. But he had a weak arm, couldn't read the defense, and then it got exposed his senior year or his junior year, left the draft early, honestly, because of all the people coming in behind him. You know what I mean? So it's like one of those things where as a freshman quarterback, you're really not expected to do the things you're doing. And I'm very curious to see, and I, I said this last last episode on the rankings, if Oklahoma moves to Caleb Williams for the rest of the year, I have them in the playoff because I don't think they're going to lose to anybody because Caleb Williams is just that good. And it's scary. If <laughs> I mean, this kid, I'm not going to say he's going to he, – he won't even come close because of the, you know, the midseason point. But if he was starting two or three weeks ago – and he, he's doing what I think he's capable of, like putting up 300 yards, you know, even maybe a 400-yard game in there, you're going to be in the conversation for the Heisman, like with Bryce Young, Desmond Ritter, you know what I mean, Bijan Robinson, like Jordan Davis, like that's your caliber, that's your tier. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's really cool to see when a freshman does this, but it's also really, really rare. Most of the starting quarterbacks are redshirt sophomores, juniors, even some of them are sophomores. Um, but the fact that he was able to come in, and take over Spencer Rattler's job, and all offseason, what did we hear? And this is this is I'm gonna I'm a, I was leading the charge. Spencer Rattler's not that good. I don't I don't know why he's getting Heisman hype. He's just not that good. But what happened? Caleb Williams comes in and shows Spencer Rattler's really just not that good. 
there's a lot of growth that he needs to have between now and I think he obviously lost his first round draft status. Like the fact that he got benched and now he's potentially transferring out of Oklahoma. Yeah, he ha- he's going to play one more year for sure. Um, I wouldn't. I'm not going to speculate teams he's going to go to because I really don't know. I, obviously, he's a competitor. He's probably going to want to play for a top team. Um, you know, is he? Does he go to the SEC and try to get Oklahoma back? I. There's really not too many quarterbacks in the SEC that aren't solidified. So I don't really know if there's room for you, buddy. But the problem is that Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler potentially was Lincoln Riley all week was, yeah, we have a quarterback battle. We're going to see. We're going to re-up, evaluate. And then today came out and said um, no more media throughout the week. So usually when a coach does that, that that's a big red flag. Like, okay, something in-house happened. Like – and then he found out today that I guess it was it was either Monday or Tuesday. So they probably had a meeting on Monday, and then he probably called them both in his office and they told them what was going to go. He Lincoln Riley's smart. He knows what he's going to do before he does it. In the sense of he knew once Caleb Williams came in and played that well, we have Caleb Williams is the future. We have to roll with him until obviously we can't. But but you want to have that – and he's not even a backup. He's not even a security blanket because he plays so bad. But you want to kind of have that security blanket in Spencer Rattler, for, at least for the rest of the season, similar to what Tua and Jalen Hurts was like. Nick Saban was able to convince Jalen Jalen Hurts to stay one more year. Sure enough, he goes in, you know, ends up winning the SEC against my dogs, which kind of sucks. But – and then he transfers out that next year to Oklahoma, has a big year for Oklahoma, gets taken by the Eagles – so, yeah, I mean, Lincoln Riley knows how to develop quarterbacks, and I think that's what, obviously a big reason Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler both went there. But Spencer Rattler hasn't developed. He hasn't grown. In in the typical Lincoln Riley you know, way you're used to seeing quarterback from one year to the next grow. So move on from him. Caleb Williams is your guy now. Awesome. Just, you know, this is – you're building – honestly, you're building for 2023 because you're going to be in SEC next year. Potentially, I mean, you're not gonna. I'm not. I'm not saying they won't win it, but I've the. I mean, the odds are stacked against them to win the SEC. But maybe potentially, I mean, if they're in, you know, depending on how they do the pods and stuff, or the the divisions. I mean, you might be in the SEC championship game in a year because your team is actually pretty talented. You just don't have a defense. But moving to the SEC gives you, you know, defensive players. It just does because obviously. A lot of the big name defensive players come from the SEC or they, some from the Big Ten as well, but for the most part, SEC is where defense is played. Uh, you know what I mean? So, um, if you're Spencer Rattler, yeah, good luck, man. I mean, you had a, an up and down career at Oklahoma, kind of sucks, but your career isn't over. I think that you're facing, obviously. I mean, I feel like the theme of this podcast should be named adversity because you're facing adversity. You know what I mean? Like you got punched in the mouth, you got knocked down. Um, you lost the Heisman in one game. You lost your first-round draft stock in, in one game. And it sucks, but it's a business, and, and you realize that. So, unfortunately, you know what I mean? Just move on. Learn from it, and I really, really do wish him the best. There's a lot of things he needs to work on, a lot of things he needs to do to grow. Um, but Caleb Williams is now the guy. Um, and then, having said that, just kind of like real quick about the, the Spencer Rattler stuff, you know what I mean? Like, it's unfortunate that he's going to transfer. Um and and this is this is just based on what I saw on Twitter. This isn't set in stone yet, but usually when you cancel all media, you just you eliminate distractions for your 
obviously you're switching quarterbacks at that point or you're switching a big position or something bad had happened in house. Um, but everything I saw screenshots of him being unenrolled. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of speculation that he is transferring or he's going to enter the portal here pretty quick. Um, keep an eye on that. And then we'll move on to the final segment of this amazing episode. Final segment is, and I really like it when, when ESPN or, you know, when PFF does this, that they do their list of like, just giving you guys to kind of watch, right? Like obviously we're at the midway point. Um, there's a lot of really good players this year, like not just in the SEC or the Big Ten, but kind of also in the Big 12, you know, and now you have Caleb Williams to watch. And I feel like if Caleb Williams has been playing all year, he'd probably be on this list. But um, just, just dive into it. So the quarterback that they have, uh, and this is the All-American list. So, like, these are guys not necessarily projected to be pre-All-Americans or whatever. And don't, you know, take this list with a grain of salt. You're like, okay, right now these are the guys that they have playing better than everybody else at their position. You know what I mean? And you, there's a couple that I don't agree with. There's a couple that I do. Um, but quarterback is Bryce Young. I don't really think you can argue. He's got – I mean, right now he's a first-year starter and he's the sixth player in college football to to have at least 1,700 passing yards with 20 passing touchdowns and no more than three picks. I mean, through six games, that's – he's one of six to do that as a freshman. You know what I mean? And the list is uh, – Right now, it's I believe Tua was able to do it, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, and then Kyle Trask. So, pretty good company to be in, honestly. Um, I, I mean, say what you want about those quarterbacks, but they owned college, and what three of them were first round picks? Four of them? Uh, yeah, all four of them, because Kyle Trask got picked by the Bucks. So yeah, pretty good list to be in. Obviously, Bryce Young can't be drafted this year, um, but. Right, if he if he continues doing what he's doing, you're looking at the first Bama quarterback that I remember to be taken one overall because the kid is dominating and good for him, rightfully so. There was a lot of questions surrounding him um, that we even had on the podcast. We're like, is Bryce Young able to do it at you know at basically 18? We don't know because he's playing in some pretty good teams, um, and he's yeah he's smet the bill. And ring the bell, honestly. Then the running backs are Kenneth Walker the third out of Michigan State, um, leading FBS with 152 point rushing yards per game, um, and that's more than what is it? More than 20 yards better than the next player. And I think the next player is Bijan Robinson. So yeah, so you can't really argue with Kenneth Walker. Um, I'm excited when Michigan State plays Michigan because both teams like to run the ball and they like to establish their you know they like to put it on the table on the offensive line, and we're going to see which one's bigger, honestly. I'm very excited for that game. Um, and then B. John Robinson on this list as the other running back. So, I mean, eh, he's dominating. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I don't know why they got away from giving him the ball against Oklahoma. He was gashing him. Um, had you given him the ball maybe five or six times, you probably would have ended up winning that game. So, um, obviously if you can't stop Caleb Williams though, you know what I mean? Like, but, but in the sense of controlling the clock, Bijan Robinson is able to get those big yards. I mean, averaging, you know, 131 yards per game, um, 59 missed or broken tackles. And that's 10 more than any other, any other running back in the, in, in college football right now. And then you have the receivers, um, Drake London out of USC. So USC is, I know they've started pretty poorly, but it doesn't mean they don't have players. It's still USC. And I said this a while ago on the last podcast. USC is one of those teams where it's like 
they're honestly one year away from going undefeated in the Pac-12. Like, taking a couple early losses kind of sucks for them. But he's still, I mean, Drake London is still a pretty solid player. Um, they definitely have a gem in him. He reminds me of Keyshawn Johnson back in the day that played for USC. Um, you know, just really fast. He's not as tall as him. But he's, he's definitely a really good route runner, and that's what separated Keyshawn from a lot of the other players. And then you have wide receiver Josh Downs from North Carolina. Howell's throwing him the ball. It's a really, really nice when you look over and you see big Josh Downs over there, uh, especially as a quarterback. You're like, all right, I know I can throw it up, and he's going to come down with it probably like you know eight out of the ten times I do throw it up. And then the rest is he's going to make sure that nobody else catches it. So he's a very, very good weapon to have. Um and then he has – so his receiving 49 receptions, 741 receiving yards. Um, you're hoping that he's able to get to the 1,000-yard mark, and I think he'll probably do it the week after – he'll for sure have it the week after next. Um, so that will be cool to see. It's always nice to see a wide receiver in college get the get the 1K because that's like a ticket to the NFL, and you just really, really – you're really, you know, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, and then the tight end out of Coastal Carolina. So this is one I kind of have a problem with. Isaiah Likely, so it's not because, like, nobody knows who he is. And he's he's actually a pretty good player. He's got 27 catches, 513 yards. Um, but they're comparing him to Kyle Pitts. Slow the fuck down. Like, this kid isn't Kyle Pitts. No, no, no. Kyle Pitts is Kyle Pitts. Like, that was a man among boys. And I just don't understand why, why they're comparing him to, you know what I mean? I, I just don't see it. I, I don't understand it. I it's one of those things where it's very frustrating in the sense of like, I hate it. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine when, when players get compared to like legends, you know what I mean? Like as far as um, Kyle Pitts goes, Kyle Pitts was a legend at Florida state, like or Florida. Sorry. The kid was, he was a first round pick as a tight end. Like, I mean, Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson status. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't come around often, but I mean, honestly, like I feel like comparing him to just that, I just don't, I'm not, I'm not okay with it, obviously. And that's, I do disagree. I mean, yeah, I just, I just disagree with that. Um, I don't, I don't think that, I mean, yeah, he's a very talented player. Don't get me wrong. He's very talented, but I don't know if he's all American talented um, on this list. There's a couple other players that I would probably list above him, but moving on, we have tackle Evan Neal from Alabama can't really – I mean, the kid's a road grader. He protects Bryce Young. Um, and, it, I mean, granted, Bryce Young is mobile. So as a tackle, you're kind of like, am I on an island this play or do I have to block for like eight seconds? You know what I mean? Like because he's going to run around. Um, Evan Neal was able to handle that pretty well. And then you have Kentucky making the list with their guard, Eli Cox. This is a guy that needs to have a big game if, if they expect to move the ball on, on Georgia. He's going to be asked to block Jordan Davis probably – 70% of the time when they're on offense this coming Saturday. So I'm really curious to see how Eli does against Jordan Davis um, because there's also Chris Rodriguez Jr., who's the uh, – I thought I would give him some love as an honorable mention probably. He's the um, leading SEC's leading rusher um, for Kentucky as well, and they also have the leading receiver. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, awesome for Eli. I really, really hope that he's able to, you know, continue the trend. Um I don't think he's given up a sack yet, which is really cool for him. And then you have Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum out of Iowa. And then as far as the guard, though, Zion Johnson, there's another player that I want to highlight real quick that I think should be on this list over him. 
guard is Kane Madden. I think Kane Madden is probably the best all-around non-Power 5 lineman. Like, okay, so the kid plays for Marshall. Okay, don't get mad. Marshall still has talent. Like, there's players that are out there, and it kind of makes me mad. It's a pet peeve of mine. I get it that the big Power 5 teams kind of take all the spotlight. But there's still some really good players, not the Power 5, and this is one of them. This is a kid that I would love for my Broncos to draft. Like, if I mean, I know they're kind of set at center or and center and guard, um, but this is going to be this kid's going to be a steal on the draft when he's able to actually um, if he does if he does come out this year uh, because it's his sixth season. So, yeah, he's coming out. Um, but, yeah, he's he's definitely the heart and soul of that offensive line. Um, he's got a 93 run blocking grade like that's I don't know if you know that, but that's one of the highest rated run blockings. Um, since Will Hernandez, like no one is that high ever. Like it's really, really rare. Um, he gets an 84 in the past pro as well. The kid's a steal in the draft. Um, and I definitely think that he should have gotten some love on this, on this list over Zion Johnson. And obviously they're, they're showing some love to the non-power five, like, you know, Zion Johnson, I'm not saying he's bad, but he's, you know, out of Boston college, but I just think Kane should have been in there. And then, um, Kim Aquanu from NC state, NC State's actually got a pretty solid offensive line. They kind of fly under the radar a little bit. And Kane used to be on NC State's. So the fact that he was probably one of the other anchors next to Akim on that. But, yeah, so then we'll move on to the defense. Aiden Hutchinson. This kid is getting a lot of praise um, at Michigan. He is a big reason why these guys are 6-0, and I have them – Pretty high on my watch list as as far as ranking lists. As those of you that listen to the the ranking list, I had Michigan at three not too long ago, barely. But I dropped him a little bit because they lost to Nebraska, but that's okay. Aiden Hutchinson is a big reason for that. I didn't really think that, uh, and there. I mean, he's he's developing into a star. He's developing into a pass rusher. Um, uh, you're just excited for where this kid can continue. You know what I mean? Like in the, at the next level because he's gonna get there. Um, and then obviously can't really disagree with this. Big Jordan Davis uh, is the their All-American midseason. He's going to win probably every D-tackle award out there. He might even win, um, you know, he's going to for sure be an All-American. But, yeah, he, he he's going to be in the conversation for a lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of awards at the end of the season. Rightfully so, well-deserved, for sure an All-American. Just lock it up right now. Honestly, he, he should be getting consideration for the Heisman. Like, the kid cannot be blocked and he was a three-star recruit a lot of people don't know that oh it's the five stars four stars yes they're really good players but this jordan davis worked his ass off to get where he is today and i can't talk enough about him and then you have trey williams from arkansas um the missouri transfer is a big part of the reason why the uh, under sam Pittman the hogs are doing so well um they actually have a pretty solid pass rush you weren't able to see that last week unfortunately but trey williams is you know 15 tackles four and a half tackles for loss um he was He's just a really, really good edge rusher as well. Um, and then we have the linebackers. And I know that we highlighted a lot of them um, earlier in the year. None of really outside of Devin Lloyd are the guys that we are the guys that we had, like Mike Rose, Nate Landman. Um, and they're still, they're still really good players. They, they're just not getting the love that I think they should be. But I really can't argue with who they have. Like the Kobe Dean out of Georgia is one of them. Will Anderson from Bama. Those are probably the top two linebackers in in this outside, in my opinion. And I really do believe this. Nate Landman, I think, is the best pure inside linebacker in the game. Like 
not saying he's Nicobe Dean or Anderson. He's not as fast as them. But if you think of a thumper and you think of someone that clogs the run, if Nate Lamon is able to actually work on his speed a little bit and learn how to cover tight ends at the next level, he's going to be a very, very good player. Um, but Nicobe Dean already has that skill. Anderson has that skill. Devin Lloyd. We did highlight him uh, earlier, earlier in the in the Utah conference um, when we highlighted Utah um, as one of the potential players to potentially win Defensive Player of the Year for that conference. So the fact that he's on this list means that we kind of know what we're talking about a little bit. Also, Darren Butler from Arizona, Arizona State, sorry, um, uh, leading. The, so the real quick, Arizona State leads the Pac-12 in scoring defense, 16.2 points a game. That's because of Darren Butler. Darian Butler. The, the kid is phenomenal. He can't really be blocked the line of scrimmage. Uh, 12 tackles behind the line of scrimmage, so he's able to get the, the really good blitz packages. They have, they have a lot of schemes for him. He really is the heartbeat of that defense. Like, they go as he goes. And I love seeing a linebacker as that because that's kind of where it starts before the second level. Um, and speaking of second level, we have a lot of you know, corners now we're getting into, which is Matt Hankins out of Iowa. Iowa. Um, I would personally put... And I, I'm not trying to be biased, but Keely Ringo has the lowest um, passing rate against him, also has no touchdowns allowed against him in six games. And the fact that he's not on this list is kind of a slap in the face. He's a pretty he's a first year player. He's not a freshman. He's actually a sophomore, um, but he missed all of last season. This is his first real season of playing, and he's only getting better each time. I would put him above Matt Hankins in a, in a heartbeat, um, and then I wouldn't disagree with this at all. Maude Gardner, Cincinnati is has a very, very good secondary. Um, there's a reason why they're number three in the nation. Give him some love. And I, I would put Desmond Ritter as a backup to Bryce Young on this list. I think that he's done enough to deserve it, or Matt Corral. I think both are kind of – I think all three are in that All-American potential list. But sadly, I think there's only one or two, but there's different teams. So I think Desmond Ritter is going to get on the probably the second, maybe third team and then look for Matt Corral to be on that second. If Bryce Young continues doing what he's doing, Bryce Young will be on the first team, and then I think the second team will actually have Corral on it. Um, but Ahmad Gardner for sure is a lock. Um one of the best corners outside of Keeley that I've seen this season. The kid is phenomenal. Uh, quarterbacks against him are only two for nine passing with 19 yards when he's targeted. They've only targeted the kid 10 times. <laughs> like, that's Champ Bailey-esque. You know what I mean? That's Akeem Tlaib. That's any any high-tier corner you can think of. Even Trayvon Diggs this year. Like, they don't throw to his side for a reason because no one can complete a pass. And when they do, it's for minimal yards. You also have Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame. Um, he's actually projected as the second best player available in the 2022 draft. I would put Stingley in that category. I think he's a little bit better than he is. But um, Kyle Hamilton has been having a really, really good year. 33 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss. Um, and then he's got four pass breakups as well. So he's a very, very good safety to have on your side if you're a corner because you know that the help is coming and it's coming hard. The kid hits like a truck. You also have Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State. Um, from, so this kid transferred from Lackawanna College, and he he's the team captain now at Penn State. That says a lot about his character. says a lot about a kid that you want in the locker room. Um, and especially, like, some of his stats. You have 25 tackles, 3.5 tackles for loss, 2 interceptions. And, and I know that you guys might get tied up into the tackles for loss real quick about safeties. If you're a safety and you have three to f- three or more tackles for loss – 
you're doing something pretty good because you're coming off of a blitz and you're able to not over pursue. You're able to stay square and you're able to actually make the hit and bring the guy down. It's usually it's a running back who's probably 30 pounds heavier than you usually. So that's a pretty good stat to have. Um, and you know that he's a, he's actually a pretty hard hitter as well. And he had a really good game that I saw against um, Iowa. And then you have special teams. And I'm actually kind of sad that, um, you know, that the, the – Wake Forest kickers on here. I wouldn't put him on here, honestly. I, I think that there's a couple other kickers, mainly probably Cade York. Uh, just off the top of my head, you would have to you have to say. And then um, what real real Reichert is doing in Alabama. And then you also have um, from my dogs. You've got uh, Pudlutsny. Um, he's doing a really good job. I think that I just wouldn't put him that high. I wouldn't have him as an All-American. And I know people are like, oh, my God, why are you talking about the kicker? Because the kicker is very actually a good weapon to have. When you have a kid that can line it up from 55 or further and make it, that, like I said, the reason why UConn lost, they weren't able to score any points. The reason why Penn State, you can't score just field goals, but you also weren't getting in field goal position. It is a very, very good weapon to have. Um on your on your side as well so don't like dog the kickers or special teams guys because yeah all they really do every practice is they just show up kick a couple balls and then they go shower and they chill so like um but i can't really i can't argue with matt areza from san diego state uh 54 yard average which is uh i think it's three yards ahead of the record set by brandon man and brandon man in 2018 so um the kid's having a really good year as a punter you don't see punters ever get drafted i'm not saying he will but maybe he's Mr. Relevant. I mean, if I was a team and I was like, yeah, I need a punter. I have a seventh round. I have the last pick in the draft in the seventh round. Why the fuck not? You know what I mean? Like, give the kid a chance. Obviously, it's a really special thing for them to get drafted. Um, but, no, he's he's more than likely going to be a, a free agent out of out of the draft, a dra- undrafted free agent. Um, and he's going to get his chance to prove at the next level what he can do. Um, and then as far as the, the segment goes – That'll pretty much get close to wrapping it up, honestly. Um, covered a lot today. Like, I didn't mean to throw a bunch of stuff at you, but we talked about the Bama and game, broke that down, uh, broke down the Iowa-Penn State game, UMass beating UConn, we broke that game down. And if there's another game you guys want to hear about last week, definitely hit me up and I'll include it maybe in the in the the recap slash preview episode coming up next. Um, and then Spencer Rattler, does he transfer? No idea. Um, and then obviously we, we highlighted on the midseason All-American list that ESPN put out. I definitely don't agree with all of it, but I do agree with the majority of it. Um, I think they got it right. I'm very curious to see at the end of the season who gets those awards. Um, but yeah, this has been the Fan Section Podcast. My name is Alan, and I am out.